It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 22 of Sports Day Plus. 6.45, where are we at in society? Some of you people are real sexual deviants. At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Sammy P., who joins us earlier than usual in the week to handicap the Thanksgiving weekend of college and NFL games. And a mere seconds, the Longhorns are on the verge of clinching a spot in the Big 12 title game thanks to a major culture shift. But how does Sark define something like that? I am your host, Trey Elling. Give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, seeing as how this is my first chance to speak with you people since the weekend of football games, did need to acknowledge the Longhorns taking care of business in Ames, Iowa on Saturday night, beating the Cyclones 26-16. The game was a little bit closer than some may have hoped heading into the locker room at halftime with Texas only leading 6-3 thanks to a last-second field goal before halftime. But don't get it mixed up. Texas dominated this game and had some unfortunate penalties called against them and wrong moments, including a couple that wiped away touchdowns that led to this game looking closer than it actually was. But in the end, Texas got its act together in the second half, actually played better in the second half for the first time in about a month, and was able to pull away and win by double digits. So now the Longhorns find themselves a game away from accomplishing one of several preseason goals, and that would be make it to the Big 12 championship game while also winning the regular season Big 12 title. It would be the only team in the conference with a single loss in the Big 12. That would be that loss to the Sooners in Dallas more than a month ago, and uh, no other team has less than two losses in this conference. So if Texas can beat Texas Tech on Friday, yes, in front of Conference Commissioner Brett Yormark, considering the comments that he made to a group of Tech fans in the preseason, they will punch their ticket to Jerry World that following Saturday, likely to take on Oklahoma State, who only needs to beat BYU on Saturday to make their way to the Big 12 championship game. And a lot of their successes this year has to do with a major shift in culture. And you give a ton of credit to Steve Sarkeesian and players past and present for making this drastic change and helping to alter the trajectory of how the typical Texas season has gone in the last 13 years, ever since that last national championship game appearance against Alabama where Colt McCoy gets hurt in the first half, injures that throwing shoulder, and unfortunately uh, Texas is never able to fully recover. Alabama wins that national championship, and unfortunately the rest is history for both schools all the way up to this point. Now Texas has an opportunity to play for a Big 12 championship and perhaps make it to the college football playoff. So in his press conference yesterday, Steve Sarkeesian was asked to define what a healthy culture looks like for his program. And it was a great answer that I feel inclined to bring to you people now. So even though this is a four and a half minute cut, I think it is well worth your time. Here we go. That's a fair question and a good question. I think the first thing about culture, culture is organic. It is not a sign up in your building. It's not a t-shirt you wear. Uh, It's not breaking the team down and saying, hey, culture on three. I think culture is organic, right? It manifests itself with the relationships that you build. Um, I think that there's there's things that uh, 
Um, we talk to in our culture that are of the utmost importance. Um, you know, commitment is really important to our culture. Discipline is really important to our culture, right? Um, accountability is very important to our culture. Um, mental and physical toughness are very important to our culture. Love is very important to our culture. Vulnerability is very important to our culture. Transparency is really important to our culture. Um, so those that's just to name a few. But I can't just say those things. We have to live those things, and then we have to have teachable moments along the way, A, to celebrate the guys that are doing those things, B, point out when maybe we're not, and then how can we fix it, and then how do we correlate that? Because who you are some of the time is who you are all of the time. And so if you want to be a disciplined football team when you take the field each weekend – you have to be disciplined when you're off the field. How do you, you know, how are we in school? How are we in community service? What, 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 the, all of it all adds up to that becomes your culture because that is who you are. That's how we go about everyday life. Um, for example, when we have a team meeting and that meeting breaks, I have the same few guys that early on would make sure the team room was clean. There was no Gatorade bottles. There was no tape. There was no trash. And a couple of those guys' names were Roshan Johnson and Bijan Robinson. Well, that elevated to when those guys were gone, the running back room was the ones that cleaned up the team room. To now, when we break a team meeting, everybody looks around. And so it has grown from two guys that has grown into more to when we go to the movies on Friday nights before a ball game, if we have a night game, everybody chirps up, pick up your trash. So I know those sound like little things, but in the end, that's, those are really big things to me because that means that's the way we're thinking all of the time. And if we're doing those little things, and that's why I say to celebrate the small victories, I really celebrate that stuff because I think those, those actions and that behavior leads to the big victories, leads to first and goal on the five and your defense has got to get four stops, leads to third and 12 backed up on the road and you convert a first down. I think it leads to those guys counting on one another, relying on one another because they're doing the right things on a daily basis. Um, and we're not perfect, and I don't expect our guys to be perfect, but if they can be coachable on and off the field and they can learn from one another, um, then we will continue to grow and our culture will continue to grow. But it takes being vulnerable. It, it takes being transparent with one another. It takes getting to know one another so that you can have some, some empathy for what a guy is going through, not just on the field but off the field, where he came from, you know, what's going on in his life. And we have to share those things. And so in the summer, you know, we, we do a lot of culture work every Wednesday morning. Now – Friday night, I do a culture exercise before that's the last thing we do before we go get on the bus, whether it's to go to the hotel or to go get on the plane. Like we invest a lot in that. Um, and, and I think that it, obviously to me, it's, it's paying dividends because I think culture beats talent. If your culture is really strong culture and talent 
together is a is a pretty powerful force and that's something that we've tried to we've tried to create here it was steve sarkeesian at his media availability yesterday answering the question of what does good culture look like and why have you been able to find that this season and i think that helps to explain why this team has shown a sort of resilience even going back to the start of the year think about that at, to- at the time, it was considered an upset win over Alabama, but that win over Alabama by double digits, something that happened happened to Alabama in the Nick Saban era. Nick Saban hadn't experienced that in a long time as a college coach, but Texas is able to do that, and that's a win that they can still hang their hat on. But uh, even in that game, there was a resilience that was required. Alabama takes a temporary lead in that game in the second half, and Texas responds in kind offensively and defensively. And since then... Uh, not everything is going to go your way in a given game, especially uh, as Texas makes its way through the Big 12 one final time. You are everybody's Super Bowl, and Texas has survived every test up to this point, with the exception of Oklahoma, but Oklahoma played an A-plus game that day, and Texas was not great, unfortunately. Maybe they were taking some things for granted in the Cotton Bowl that day, but even still, here they sit with a chance to make it to a Big 12 championship game with a win over Texas Tech on Friday night, and we feel really good about those chances. All right, coming up, we are going to take a look at Texas, Texas Tech, as well as the NFL Thanksgiving Day games and the rest of the best games from the college and NFL slate with my good friend Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniotovich, the primary handicapper for Nesson in Boston, Fox Sports, the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and he joins this show every week to talk about these things. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Time to spend a couple of segments handicapping the weekend in football. And, of course, the weekend starts on Thanksgiving this year with my friend Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniotovich. He is the lead handicapper at Nesson in Boston, helps out at Fox Sports, and he hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at SPShoot, and check him out on this show normally on Fridays at 6.15, but because we're off on Friday, we're doing it on Tuesday this week. Sam, thank you as always for the time. How you doing today? Getting ready for Thanksgiving, my man. I know you are, too. Are you doing, like, the smoked turkey? Are you deep-frying it? What are we doing with the turkey? I am doing the traveling to my uh, extended family's beautiful house in College Station, which we do every couple of years, and letting them take care of everything. We're responsible for dinner rolls, and so we've already purchased the King's Hawaiian, and then also a dessert, too, and I've got this uh, this cookie pie that a local bake oh. shop makes. It's uh, They make this monster cookie that is out of this world good, but they do a pie version of it. And so uh, those are the two things we're bringing to Thanksgiving this year. What about you? You hanging out in Chicago? No, actually, we've uh, we finagled Thanksgiving the last couple of years because I'm in Boston. My right. parents are in Florida. My brother's in Chicago. So we've actually done Thanksgiving in Boston. This will be the third year now where we do it the week after. And oh. my dad is so excited because he saves like $600 in flights. <laughs> you're not flying in, you know, the day before Thanksgiving and then leaving the Saturday after. I mean, that's when everybody travels. But we're Serbian as it is. So, like, we celebrate Christmas late. Christmas is on January 7th. That's Orthodox Christmas. So we have started to celebrate Thanksgiving late because we save money. 
I think that is a really smart play. It doesn't surprise me coming from you because you are all about the smart plays. And I may consider (laughs) trying to adopt that on years that we don't have this extended family Thanksgiving is doing it a week after, especially if we're traveling somewhere. That's why we never, like my wife is from Chicago. We never go to Chicago this time of year just because of how big of a pain in the ass it is just for two adults to try and travel all the way up to Chicago, much less when you have two kids in tow too. And you think about it this way too. If you do the immediate family Thanksgiving a week later, that allows you to go to another Thanksgiving for Thanksgiving. So I get two Thanksgivings. Mm, two Thanksgivings. You still get all the football games. You get all the best parts of Thanksgiving and then get Thanksgiving a week later without having to deal with the BS of, uh, of actual Thanksgiving. Well done by you and your family, Sam. Uh, so there is a, a full slate of uh, NFL games this Thanksgiving. There's actually a Black Friday game, too. Uh, not very compelling because one of the teams is the Jets, after all. But we will talk about the NFL here in just a sec. Wanted to start on the college side of things, as we normally do uh, with you on Fridays. Now, going to... Uh, have a caveat here with uh, what we talk about this week with the exception of the Thursday games it's pretty early in the week still normally we like to talk about these things on Friday heading into the weekend so these are your initial thoughts on these games so take it with uh, more of a grain of salt than you might otherwise as Sam has been winning uh, Gens money all season long with some of the great picks he's been making and we're going to start here in Austin with the uh Texas Longhorns hosting their final regular season game against Texas Tech. Everybody knows about the comments that Brett Yormark made to a group of Tech fans in the preseason, telling them to take care of business. Well, Texas Tech has had a very disappointing season. They are above 500 right now, although if they lose today, they'll finish the season at 500. Whereas the Texas Longhorns just got to 10 wins, and a win on Friday secures their spot in the Big 12 championship game the following week. Longhorns are 12.5 point favorites right now. Over-under is 53 and a half uh, anything that uh, strikes you as a uh, better play right now on this game so we've talked about the last or three of the last four texas games i think you were uh you were off for the world series when they faced tcu yep. um, but we had the under in the byu game and the under in the iowa state game and those were nails because texas just shut things down I mean, yep. byu had six points and iowa state barely cracked 14 this one's different though i think we're going to get some offense here but I expect a really big game for Quinn Ewers. I, I think this passing attack is prime for a big game. This is a higher Texas total at 54. I'm not going to mess with the total. This might surprise you, Trey. I'm going to lay the points with Texas. Wow. You know, I think I think this is a game where they can score 38, and their defense is probably, let, let's say, like 38 to 21. I think that's a very fair final score. Um, you know, my buddy Kenny White makes it 34-17 either way. Uh, we're laying the 13 points. This is just a game where Texas can literally do whatever it wants down the field. Now, the only thing that's going to hold them from a, a big blowout win is the turnover game. But yours has always been very efficient with the football. He doesn't throw it into triple coverage like Justin Herbert does every weekend for the Chargers. <laughs> if you take care of the football, run the ball well. I know they don't have Brooks, but they still have a very good offensive line, and they have the better quarterback in this game at home. This should be a railroad spot for them. They should win this game by at least two touchdowns. So I'm going to lay 13 with the Horns. I do like it, 
even on a Tuesday. I'll tell you why I like that pick, Sam. It's for a couple of reasons. One, Quinn Ewers continues to look better each week in recovering from that AC joint injury. And uh, they got a lot out of C.J. Baxter at the running back position last week, even though Jonathan Brooks... Uh, was obviously really good, one of the best running backs in the Big 12 in the entire country. Uh, C.J. Baxter proved last week not to be a huge drop-off. But also, when Texas Tech is not very good, the Longhorns tend to pound them here in Austin, and they're not very good this year. Even though this is their Super Bowl, they want to beat Texas that one final time before the Longhorns and Sooners head to the SEC. Tech is very mediocre this year, and the Longhorns are solid. That defensive line is insane. They're going against a third-string quarterback with Texas Tech, and any success Texas Tech has running the football right now, or has on offense right now, rather, is running the football. Taj Brooks is a really good running back. Unfortunately, this Texas defensive line is one of the best in the country at shutting down the run. So uh, when you take all of those things into account, I think you're right. I think Texas wins this game maybe by three-plus touchdowns. Buddy, we're talking about an 11-1 and Texas Longhorns team. 11-1. and Let that sink in. The other big Friday game, the other ranked matchup, or the ranked matchup, I should say, is Oregon State at Oregon. Uh, disappointing loss for Oregon State last week. They had a chance against Washington, but uh, the Huskies held on to win that game despite, uh, I think, being held scoreless in the second half. Oregon State has to turn around. They need to shake that game off to uh, square off in the, uh, the very last Civil War affair scheduled for a while. They travel to Eugene to take on the number six Oregon Ducks. Oregon is nearly a two-touchdown favorite right now at 13.5. Over-under is at 62.5. Is there something that you like about this game? I don't have a single dollar on this game yet, but I, I really am interested to see how the number moves over the coming days because here's how it's going to work out just aesthetically. Nobody wanted to bet against Oregon State last week. Like Oregon State was the sexiest team. Everybody was talking about Washington's going to lose. Oregon State is due. They have the home field. They have the better defense. And Oregon State loses to Washington. And then Bo Nix throws, what, five or six touchdowns in the first half against Arizona State. So the perception in this game is going to have everybody basically saying, well, Oregon's going to run it up. Oregon needs style points. Bo Nix needs the Heisman votes. And that's all true, but like people act like Oregon State's just going to lay down and die. And that's, not, that's not how this stuff works, especially in these rivalry games. I mean, let's just say Oregon State would have beat Washington. This line is, I don't know, eight or nine. But because Oregon won big and Oregon State lost, this line is now 13 and a half. And I, I get it. Oregon's very good. Oregon is an explosive offense. But I watched three of those Bo Nix touchdowns in the first half. He throws the ball like three yards in the air. The receiver makes a man miss and runs 70 yards. You don't do that against Oregon State. They actually have a defense. And DJU is, is not great at quarterback for the Beavs. But, man, this is like such a letdown spot. I think this number is just a little too big. And again, we don't bet teams, we bet numbers. This number feels just a little too big at 13 and a half. The big game of the weekend is at the big house. It is the big noon kickoff on Fox, even though that's 11 a.m. Central time. Number two, Ohio State at number three, Michigan. Jim Harbaugh not on the sidelines. Michigan, three and a half point favorites over under 46 and a half. What do you think happens in this one? Man, what a good one we're in for. And, I, you know, it's very hard to quantify the loss of 
Jim Harbaugh. When he's not on the sideline, I think they're just a different team structurally, structurally, organizationally. I think they're just they're more composed when he's there. And I'm not going to say that I love Ohio State because Harbaugh isn't there. But, man, like all these odds makers that I talk to, they make Michigan and Ohio State, they make Michigan a three-point favorite on a neutral. This game is in Ann Arbor. So when you hear respected people like that say, all right, well, Michigan would be three points better on a neutral, and then obviously with home field you add something, you add like four or five points, it's almost like this line should be six or seven. So the fact that it's three, three and a half is very perplexing to me. It's clearly some built-in respect for Ohio State. And I finally think for the first time all season, Michigan is facing an NFL-wide receiver. Now, Mm. if I'm the Buckeyes, I'm throwing the ball 15 times at Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, this is the game. You need to get that guy the ball. And if that's the case, this game can be interesting. We know that Michigan can throw the ball down the field as well. So I'm going to go au contraire here. I sort of like the over in the game at 46. Oh wow! I think we get we we get Ohio State to take some shots here. Maybe we get a, a kick return or something for Michigan. I think I think the under is clearly what people are thinking because Michigan's defense is elite. Ohio State's defense is very good, but Ohio State is the best offense that Michigan's D will see, and Michigan's O is the best that Ohio State's D will see. If that makes sense, we've also seen these two teams explode the last couple of years. I mean, the game two years ago in the snow was like 60, 70 points. The talent on these offenses is real, and I think we're going to get some bigger plays in this game because this isn't Nebraska. This isn't Michigan State. This isn't Iowa. These are two teams with NFL talent on offense, and I like the over. I think Ohio State's going to score more than people think in this game. Michigan probably wins, but I'm not touching the point spread. I lean over 46 points. That's why I like to ask you these questions. All right, uh, we are up on a commercial break. Coming up on the other side, I do have one more college question for Sam. It's self-serving for Longhorn fans, and we will get into the Thanksgiving Day and overall slate on the NFL side as well here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. One more segment with Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniatovich of Nesson in Boston. He is the main handicapper there, also helps out with Fox Sports, and he hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SP Shoot, and you can normally hear him on this show Fridays at 6.15, but because we're going to be off on Thursday and Friday, decided to get an early look at the weekend in college and pro football, and of course that weekend starts on Thursday with Thanksgiving Day, those NFL games that we will get to in a sec. Before that, though, Sam, I did want to ask you about Florida-Florida State. Uh, That game has implications for a number of reasons. One, if Florida State continues to win, they're going to find their way into the college football playoff, even without Jordan Travis for the rest of the season after he suffered that gruesome leg injury. But the Longhorns need some losses to occur in front of them in order to make their way into the college football playoff. The most likely candidate right now, with Jordan Travis being out for the year, is Florida State losing one of their next two games, either to Florida in Gainesville or against Louisville in the ACC championship game. Uh, what chance do you give the Gators to pull off the upset this weekend? That game is in Gainesville, as I just mentioned, uh, but Florida State is still the favorite right now. Yeah, but it's not a big number, Trey. And, you know, you and I have talked about this for years now. We've had these conversations about when a sports book opens a game 
six or six and a half and not quite seven. It's six, six and a half. I think we, we talked about this when Oklahoma state pulled that big upset a couple of weeks ago. We're like, well, wait a minute. Well, why isn't the line higher? Why isn't it seven? Why isn't it seven and a half? Well, because somebody knew something and clearly without Travis, we don't know what the backup Tate Rotomaker can do. How do you bet this game? I, I wish I could take Florida, man. I do. I'm pulling for you guys. I hope Florida can beat Florida State so Texas has a better shot at the playoff. I just like the under more. I feel like we get a game where both of these offenses struggle to move the football. The total open 51. It's been bet down to 50. There's a 49.5 offshore. I think by the time we get to kickoff on Saturday, it's a little bit lower, maybe like 48, 47.5. I expect the defenses to sort of carry the mail. Without Travis, I don't know what to expect from Florida State. And I'll tell you what, they don't have the ability to hit those 40, 50-yard pass plays consistently like they did with Jordan Travis. So it's probably more of a dink and dunk, conservative, let's win this game, let's not take a lot of chances, let's get the hell out of here and try and move on to the next chapter of our season. I like the under, but look, I would not be surprised at all if Florida pulls the upset. Yeah, I think if not this weekend, Florida State loses to Louisville the following weekend. But we shall see. All right, moving on now to the uh, NFL side of things. The games start early on Thursday, 11.30 Central Time. The Lions host the Packers for the first of three games on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Detroit is my team this year. As an old-school Oilers fan who's now an NFL bastard, I pick a different team every year. I love watching this Lions team. I have several guys on my fantasy teams, including Jared Goff, unfortunately, with last weekend's game. But this Lions team is fun to watch on both sides of the ball. They are 7.5-point favorites over a Packers team that upset a uh, listless Chargers squad just a couple days ago. Over-under is 47.5. What do you like about this game? I really think we have to pay attention to the pace of these Lions games. You know, this is one of the better over teams in the NFL, and it has been for a couple seasons now. How about last year? They go 7-2 and two to the over at home. Hmm. So if you bet nine of their games and you bet all of them over, you're 7-2. and two. Uh, This year, they haven't been at home that much yet, uh, but you look at the numbers, they're 3-2. and two. The total has been basically knocked up almost a full field goal. It opened 44 and a half. There's a lot of 47s out there. So if you're looking at this now and you know you're going to bet the over on Thanksgiving, don't wait because it's trending up. Uh, DraftKings has a 47.5. Circa and Vegas has a 47.5. These games just, just get paced. And the Lions, they can score really good efficient offense, but their defense is questionable, man. I mean, look what Justin Fields just did to him, and he yeah. can't throw. So, you know, Jordan Love is not Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers, but I think the Packers have the ability to hit some home runs down the field in the game. But more importantly, it's the pace that Detroit wants to play with. They are in a lot of herky-jerky games. I think overtime is certainly on the table. And remember, this is a short week. When teams play on Sunday and defenses don't have time to rest and recover, you can have them. You can beat them in the trenches. These defenses are more tired than the offenses are oftentimes. And I feel like we're going to get over 47 in this game. But I want you to bet it now. Because I do think we get to 48-49 by Thanksgiving. And at that point, we're talking about some key numbers, 47-49. You want to get the right numbers. And if you like the under in this game, just wait because you'll get a higher number by Thursday. Game two is Cowboys hosting the Washington Commies. Dallas has been playing really well lately against really bad competition. They are 10.5-point favorites at home. The over-under is 48.5. 
This seems like easy money to me, Sam. Betting the Cowboys at 10.5, but then again, uh, I am the amateur here. You're the professional. What do you think? I don't really like betting on the Washington football team, formerly known as the football team. Um, (laughs) That being said, man, I mean, that number is staring me right in the face. I I came into this thinking, you know what, I'm going to take Washington. But I don't don't want to look like a dumbass on your show because (laughs) it's very clear that that Dallas has, has taken care of the trash. You know, they never miss garbage day. They take it out and they beat all these very bad teams and they beat them bad. And you look at, you know, 40 to nothing against the Giants, 30 to 10 against the Jets, 38-3 Patriots, 43-20 Rams, 49-17 Giants, 33-10 Panthers. I could be, you know, that guy that comes on in your Texas station and says, yeah, take the dog. I, I just, I don't want to lay 11. I, I really don't. So it's a pass for me, as lazy as that is. I think there are better opportunities on the board. Why don't we just bet, like, a lot of these books now give you the uh, the option to bet like alternate stuff. Why don't we just bet CeeDee Lamb to get like 80 yards, 90 yards, 100 yards? I feel like if you ladder CeeDee Lamb, that's probably a good idea. He is going to cut that defense up. Uh, his receiving prop is like in the low 80s right now. If you alt him up to like 90, 100, I saw a buddy of mine do 150 over a couple of weeks ago and he finished with 151. You get nice plus prices if you alt these guys up, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to expect a big game for CeeDee Lamb, 100 yards, maybe a touchdown or two. I think he goes off in this one. The late game on Thanksgiving is 49ers at Seahawks. This is a matchup between two teams with winning records. Uh, San Francisco seems to have gotten things back on track. Now they they have the full cavalcade of weapons on offense. Brock Purdy looking better. Uh, San Francisco six and a half point favorites. There's that six and a half line again. Uh, six and a half uh, road favorites. The over under is forty three and a half. Seattle is going to be without Kenneth Walker for at least this week. It looks like. Uh, what do you think of this one? I just wish I knew how Geno Smith's throwing arm was. We saw him take an absolute shot in that Rams game, and he did come back in, so I'm guessing it's not. And they didn't, like, shoot him up or anything. Like, they just wrapped him up, and then he came back in. It sounds like Pete Carroll is saying Geno is okay. And, look, that's everything. Like, I'm going to wait this out. If I get a healthier Geno, and he's not 100%, nobody is. I'm not, you're not 100% at this point in the season. <laughs> but if Geno's going to play, I think that their receivers can give San Francisco secondary the business. But they have to. They have to try and throw the ball. Because you're not going to run on San Francisco. You've got to come out, and you've got to hit the DK Metcalfs, and you've got to hit the Tyler Lockett's. And you got to give this rookie, Jackson Smith and Jigba, some chances down the field. He is a home run hitter, the rookie from Ohio State. So if Seattle can just get a little protection against Bosa and Chase Young, I think Seattle can cover six and a half. I'm not going to say upset, but this is a home game for the Seahawks on a short week for San Francisco. You got to travel to Seattle. I know that the appetite will be real to bet San Fran, but Trey, this number opened at four. And now we're all the way to six and a half. Seahawks should have won that game last week. They had a two-scored lead and just melted away late. I think six and a half is a good bet with Seattle, but I'm going to wait and wait and wait until I get clarity on Geno Smith. Last game we're going to talk about is one of the best games on Sunday, and it involves the Houston Texans, a team that everybody thought was going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. That is not the case right now. They continue to find ways to win games. C.J. Stroud looks awesome. Defense has had some positive moments, too. 
Jags at Texans. If Texans can win this game, they are tied atop the AFC South. Jacksonville a one-point favorite, over under 48 and a half. Uh, how, what do you like about this game, if anything? This is going to be an awesome game. Let's start with that. I mean, Jacksonville has been sort of the uh, the AFC South darling all season. People have been talking about this team. I mean, I think the win total was one of the most popularly bet all season at nine and a half. But I said on TV last week, I said, Jacksonville better be prepared for this quarterback. And it, it, look, this is not a hot take program, but this quarterback from Houston has an NFL arm and he is flat out flinging it right now. And I'll tell you what, Houston actually has a better point differential than Jacksonville does. Houston actually has a better offense than Jacksonville does, which nobody would have thought coming into this season. I mean, <laughs> Houston picked second and third overall. Houston's also at home. Yeah, Jacksonville is favored because they have Trevor Lawrence. And I I think I think this is a coin flip game, but for the sake of Thanksgiving, let's give the Houston Texans a win here on Sunday. All right. I think it's going ha- to happen. And I, I think this C.J. Stroud kid – you know, I, I'm not going to say he's MVP worthy because we've got a long way to go. But he is such a lock to win Offensive Rookie of the Year right now. You have to bet $2,000 to win 100 That's how much of a mathematical anomaly he is right now. He has taken this league by storm. And I'll tell you what, Trey, he makes you money too. This team is a cover cow at the window. So I'm going to take Houston here. Uh, give me one and a half with the Texans. Somebody else who makes you money is Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniadovich. He is the primary handicapper at Nesson in Boston, helps out with Fox Sports, and he hosts the Chicken Dinner Podcast. Check him out on Twitter at SP Shoot. And on this show, normally on Friday starting at 6.15. This week it was on a Tuesday, though, because, well, we're off on Friday. Sam, thank you as always for the time, for your insight, and uh, you and your family have a happy late Thanksgiving, and you have a, a good Friendsgiving, I guess, coming up this Thursday. All right, safe uh, safe travels, my friend, and uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll talk to you guys soon. Coming up and where are we at in society? Boy, some of you people are real sexual deviants. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. As I've previewed a couple of times now, some of you people are real degens. Do you know what? Rage rooms are rage rooms. It's kind of what it sounds like. These are rooms that have been cropping up across the U.S. that allow guests to spend time in a private room smashing various items such as plates, televisions, radios, tables, and more with blunt objects like bats or hammers, let's say. Now, there, I understand the appeal of going to a rage room. It is an extension of popping bubble wrap, right? It's like you're destroying something and that feels good. Or like throwing a, 
Throwing a rock through a window at an abandoned warehouse. Please don't do that to a business that is currently in operation. But if you go to uh, an abandoned warehouse, let's say, and you throw a rock through a window, that feels really good. It just feels good to destroy stuff. Well, there are people who are capitalizing on that by essentially gathering trash, breakable trash, and allowing people to have their way with it in these rage rooms. Well, unfortunately, this gets to the sexual deviant part. Owners and managers of rage rooms across the country are warning that a growing number of customers are engaging in sexual acts within the confines of their facilities. Quote, Every once in a while, people do get a little handsy, and I've had some customers lay down together in a room filled with broken glass, so maybe there's a danger aspect to it. Being in that atmosphere, it's super weird, so I think people tend to go to a primal place. That is according to Corey Holtum, the owner of Rec Room Las Vegas, in a quote to USA Today. The rec room owner said that his business typically attempts to thwart this behavior by making customers aware that there is a camera in the room watching for safety purposes. But unfortunately, it doesn't work some of the time. Nico Farmer is the founder of Wreck-It in Carrollton, Georgia. He has seen similar behavior at his place of business, admitting that he's seen couples engaged in, quote, heavy petting and intense makeout sessions at least twice a month with some stripping down to their underwear. Now, why would this be happening? Well, experts told USA Today that there may be a physiological and psychological link between intense emotions, such as anger, and sexual arousal. Justin Miller, that's really his name according to this article, Pun not intended, I guess, is a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute for Research and Sex. Oh, come on. Lay Miller, Kinsey Institute for Research and Sex. That may be intentional. Told the outlet that both aggression and sexual behaviors activate an individual's fight or flight response, triggering adrenaline. This response increases blood flow throughout the body, including the nether regions, which may lead to a sexual response. But Lay Miller suggests that inside rage rooms, people confuse the physiological response of anger or excitement with sexual arousal, likely attributed to the fact that they are inside of a room with someone they are attracted to. Quote, in other words, when the source of arousal is ambiguous, sometimes we attribute it to the person instead of the situation. Lay Miller added, Sex therapist Lee Norin compared the phenomenon to other dates that may elicit arousal, such as amusement parks or haunted houses. Who is getting worked up in a haunted house? Maybe I should have been asking this question a month ago. Didn't realize haunted houses were doing that for people. I'm going to be honest, at 45, doing amusement parks type rides these days, it doesn't trigger arousal. It triggers fear and also the thought in my head of what the hell did I find so appealing about this as a teenager. But the sex therapist continues, 
Quote, if you look at shows like The Bachelor, where they often go on dates like bungee jumping, they seem to fall in love more easily. They might be misinterpreting these psychological markers going on in their bodies. Yeah, but aren't you also taking into account the fact that there are cameras in their faces and the point of that show is for two people to fall in love and go off, get happily married and divorced nine months later? The sex therapist also noted that rage rooms allow people to break boundaries that society enacts that tell people how they should act, helping to buffer the potential for sexual shame. Michael Hellman is the CEO of Rage Room Long Island. He said his staff has seen instances where couples have engaged in sexual activity in the parking lot outside the venue. He said these acts are likely the result of excitation transfer. From Lay Miller again, quote, If you visited a rage room with your partner and then went straight home and had sex, it's likely that the sex would be more intense than usual to the fact that the emotional response for the earlier situation hadn't fully cleared your system. And it's at this point I would like to say you're welcome to every Austin area rage room for anybody listening right now who has just come up with the bright idea of getting their partner worked up by visiting a rage room. Because, not going to lie, I am now tempted to do this. With my wife, we will not be stripping down and laying down across broken glass in the rage room. But maybe some things are happening. Probably not in the car in the parking lot. Some random parking lot in Round Rock or Northwest Austin. But, we may have to try and make some things happen after the kids go to sleep. Once we visit this rage room and take a sledgehammer to plates and whatever else exists that we are allowed to destroy. Licensed clinical psychologist and certified sex therapist Michael Aaron agreed that some people may be attracted to a sense of dominance that emanates from people when they destroy objects. Quote, they're in charge, but they're not aggressive towards you or threatening you. So you experience them in a dominant way that is safe. Again, Austin area rage rooms, you're welcome. One more story before we bid you adieu for the show. Kudos to the family of Darwin Bernal. Now, Bernal died earlier this month, and his family and friends decided to pay tribute to their fun-loving El Salvadorian by following through on a requested send-off that he had before he died from his daughter, Caterin Mercedes Bernal. Before he died, he told us he wanted his funeral in a discotheque. So that's exactly what happened. He loved to party and loved to dance. His wake was held inside El Pacifico Night Bar in the city of La Union on November 5th with a video of the quirky vigil going viral online. Bernal's family decided to have his open casket take center stage on the dance floor with mourners seen shimmying around the coffin as a Latin track blared from the speakers. The nightclub's flashing blue and purple lights also added to the party-like atmosphere. Shockingly, this move has been met with mostly praise on social media. For some reason, we haven't seen the normal level of vitriol spewed at this, 
even though it doesn't affect that person in any way, shape, or form. And let's be honest, some of that is political bots. But that hasn't been happening with this story. People have been praising it and saying, good for you. Celebrating this guy like he wanted to be celebrated. This is a heck of a lot better. When I first clicked on this story, I assumed this guy was going to be propped up in some sort of dance pose, even though it's his carcass at that point. It's his dead body. But we have seen a trend of this over the last five to ten years now where somebody has a, it's not a living funeral or a living wake, but it's something along those lines where the dead body is put into position that represents something that they loved when they were alive. Like there was an example of a former boxer who was in a boxer's pose for his wake. And then there was a, a woman who loved to play cards and she was seated around a card table and propped up. Thank goodness she had the uh, gambling glasses on, I guess, and the visor to help hide the horror of a dead person's face who is made to look like they're still alive. You don't want to scare children after all. But good for his family for bringing the casket there, having the open wake, which is it's a little bit weird in my opinion. I don't know how many open casket wakes you've ever been to. The person never looks right. They don't look peaceful. They look like they're dead with a bunch of makeup on them. But if they want that wake held at a place that they loved when they were alive, then yeah, I'm all for that. Now the flip side of that is another quick story shared in this New York Post article where a model turned a funeral into a fashion show when she strutted on a makeshift runway at an open casket viewing for a fashion designer who had died. Vernest Moore is the fashion designer. The model is Erica Carrington. And she says, quote, I think we sent Vernest off the way that he would have liked, and that's all that really matters. That's ridiculous. That is making it about you. And that is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow at 6 with a two-segment conversation with Justin Wells of Inside Texas and stand-up comedian Sean Patton, who is headlining at Creek and the Cave this weekend. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.